Moment of Truth with Pastor Matt Shackelford is a ministry of Central Church in Collierville, Tennessee. Please visit us online at centralchurch.com. What does it take for guilty man to be made right with holy God? The Bible tells us all have sinned. We've all broken God's law and we all stand guilty. And God says that the wages of our sin is death. And you can't earn salvation. You can't bribe God with good works. So what do we do? This is the truth. There's only one way to be made right with God, and it's a free gift. And the moment that you repent, the moment you place your faith that Jesus Christ has died on the cross for your sins, God will make you right with Him. He will wash you. He will make you white as snow. So moment of truth today, what will you do with Jesus? Have you ever felt temptation to give up when life gets hard? Starting today, Pastor Matt begins a teaching series on 2 Timothy called, It's Always Too Soon to Quit. In this short letter, Paul writes at the end of his life to encourage young Timothy to finish strong. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, we see three types of relationships we are each encouraged to seek out. Let's turn to 2 Timothy and listen in now for your moment of truth. Well, let's take our Bibles. Let's open to 2 Timothy. One of the greatest moments in sports history was in 1992, that video we just watched when British athlete Derek Redmond was all set to win the gold. He was uh, almost assured to be the winner because of all his training and just his natural skill. It almost guaranteed the win. And that's when the unthinkable happened. He tore his hamstring. He collapsed on the track and, and uh, with tears streaming down his cheeks, he knew it was all over. The question became, would he finish? The medics ran to him. De- Derek waved them away. He hobbled to his feet and, and that, that father came alongside him and said, son, you don't have to do this. And he looked at his dad and said, yes, I do. I have to finish. And his dad leans in and says, then we're going to do it together. It's a great moment. It was a great moment of of perseverance, a great story. And I love that moment because I think it speaks to something of where we're at, all of us. Every single one of us has come to that place in life where we've been tempted to give up and give in. Every one of us, and perhaps in this church Everyone can connect to that. We've been through difficult years and difficult seasons, and you've been tempted to throw in the towel. You've been tempted to give up, to give in. Maybe it's in your marriage. It's been hard. It's been fighting. Maybe it's in your parenting. You've got a prodigal son. You've got a prodigal daughter. Maybe it's in your personal mission of what God has called you to in life. 
All of us, every one of us has felt that temptation to give up and to give in and to throw in the towel. And if that's you, I want to encourage you to be here for the next four weeks. Over the next four weeks, we're in a series entitled, It's Always Too Soon to Quit. It's always too soon to quit. We're going to be looking at the book of 2 Timothy, uh, which is all about gospel-fueled endurance. And over the next four weeks especially, I I want you to come back and just commit to being here. The next four weeks, I want to speak into your life. I want to encourage you. This is one of the most encouraging books in the Bible that I know of. It's going to encourage your heart. Come back. For the next four weeks, we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to speak into our lives and speak through the Word of God to our hearts to keep us going. You know, it's sad, though. We're we're sadly becoming a nation of quitters, aren't we? It's uh, always too soon to quit. You know, I think it was John Madden who came up with that acronym, YAC. Do you remember this? YAC. uh, Y-A-C. Uh, yards after contact. That's the measure of someone, uh, a true athlete. How long will they keep going after they've been hit? Will they give up? Will they endure? That's the question of your life. Will you finish? And we're in 2 Timothy because this book fuels us with the gospel to keep going. In fact, Paul is going to say in this book at the end of his life, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. This is gospel-fueled endurance. And who needs that this morning? So before we stand and read, we're going to start this study. I always, I always love to start a study by giving just a little bit of context, all right? I want to give you five fast facts on the book of 2 Timothy. You may have read it before. I want to give you some context because the rest of the study will make a lot more sense if you have these five things. And so let's just, let's just go through them one by one. This is going to go fast, but I want to give you the context. Then we'll stand and read the Word of God. Five fast facts. Number one, this is Paul's last letter. This is Paul's last letter. He writes 13 letters. Uh, he will not write again. This is it. These are his final words. These are his uh, swan song, if you will. He uh, wrote it near 66 AD, 66, 67, somewhere around there. And these are his last words. And let me say this. Maybe you can remember this. Last words are lasting words. Last words are lasting words. A friend of mine, he's a pastor, and he shared a story uh, of someone in his congregation dying of cancer. And he shared about how that that, that friend had all the family gather around in the living room, children, grandchildren, and how that father started speaking into each of their life, giving them one last charge before he went to be with the Lord. He challenged them. He challenged, how powerful would this be? He goes person by person, challenging them to pursue the Lord Jesus Christ, to run hard after Jesus Christ. Wouldn't that be incredible? He challenges And then he goes son by son, and he talks to his firstborn, and he says, son, I'm going to give you a challenge. If something goes wrong in the household, I want you to be the one to to respond to mom and go fix it. You're in charge of the house. Then he goes to his second son, and he said, if one of the cars breaks down, you don't have to fix it, but you got to make sure it gets fixed. You're in charge of the automotives because I won't be here. I need you to pick it up. And then he goes to his next son, and he says, I want you to be that son that when mom gets to a certain point, 
in her aging and she can't live alone anymore, mom's going to come live with you. And each of those boys looked at their father and they said, yes, sir, dad, you can, you can count on me. I'll take up the challenge. Last words are lasting words. These are Paul's final words to his son, Timothy, as if to say, Timothy, take up the challenge. Take it up. Let's go. I've, I've got some responsibilities to give to you, and I hope you'll receive those. These are last words. Didn't Jesus do that from the cross? Didn't Jesus look down at Mary? Didn't Jesus look down at John? Behold your son. Behold your mother. As if to say, Mary's coming into your house now. Last words are lasting words. Acts 1.8, at the ascension, the last words of Jesus. These are memorable words. I just did a devotional with my kiddos yesterday, and we finished Revelation, the book of Revelation, and the last words of Jesus. I'm coming. Behold, I'm coming. Last words are lasting words. Second, number two, write this one down. This is Paul's most personal letter. Of all the letters he will write, this is his most personal uh, it's written to Timothy, his son, and I think within that we see uh, a lot more emotion than we see in other letters. In fact, he's writing to his son to encourage his son in the faith. We see him expose some of Timothy's weaknesses, and this is, oh, this is powerful. Timothy is uh, one of the weaker pastors of the New Testament. In fact, uh, when Timothy goes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 16, Paul has to say this to the Corinthians, when Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. It seems that Timothy was a bit more timid and, and fearful. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul has to send Titus to finish Timothy's work. Paul has to tell him in 2 Timothy 1.7, God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Timothy was a little bit more weak. He was even, he was a little, even a little bit, had some bad health going on. Uh, in 1 Timothy 5, Paul has to say, take a little wine for your stomach. He's not a natural leader. He's easily intimidated. He's often sick. In fact, this could be a very uh, discouraging place for young Timothy. And I think that's encouraging to you and me. If you're feeling weak here this morning, if you've come to this place and you're at the end of your rope and you just feel like maybe, you feel a little bit like what Timothy would feel like, exhausted, discouraged, you feel like you can't do it, this is a letter for you. This is a letter for those who are spiritually weak. And, and this is the encouragement, one, that, that God uses weak people. Isn't it encouraging that Paul passes the baton to someone who's actually weak? That's encouraging. He doesn't pass it to someone strong. He passes it to a weakling. And I think we get from that that weak people can finish strong and be used of God too. That's encouraging. Third, third fast fact. Paul is writing from the Mamertine prison in Rome. Nero is the emperor at the time. Uh, Paul is back in jail. Some of you are saying he's back in jail again. Uh, he is what you might call a repeat offender. He just won't stop preaching the gospel. And uh, he's back in jail again. You know, it's interesting. This prison where tradition holds that he was at, the Mamertine prison, you can go there uh, today. It's basically this hole in the ground, and you're lowered down into it, and it's, it has raw sewage running through it. It's wet. It's damp. Uh, it is a very uncomfortable place to be. 
uh, when you're down in it, they give you very little food to survive on. They give you very meager rations. Uh, very difficult place to be. In fact, commentators will say this book smells of prison and death. Not long after the writing of this letter, Paul will be led down a path. He's led down the path, and he's actually going to be beheaded down the Ostian Way to, towards the Aqua Salvia. He will actually be beheaded. Uh, that was a privilege given to Roman citizens. Normally, someone would be crucified for these crimes, but he will actually be beheaded. And I think that connects with us. Are you going through a trial? Are you going through a difficulty? Maybe even in your life, do you feel like there's an inescapable problem that you have to face? It feels like maybe uh, a prison of some sort. We're going to hear from a prisoner who writes to encourage our hearts. Isn't that exciting for whatever trial? Maybe you've had a bad week. Maybe you've had a bad month. Maybe it's just been a bad life. Paul writes to encourage your heart from prison, and that's going to be very powerful. Number four, number four if you're taking notes, Paul is writing because war-weary Timothy was thinking about giving up. Many commentators believe that Timothy was this young man in an older church, and he's probably in his 30s, and he's addressing all sorts of hard things. He's, re, he's addressing uh, bad doctrine. He's addressing hard relationships. And I, I think that from the context, Timothy is actually thinking about throwing in the towel. I think Timothy's considering giving up. In 1 Timothy 1, uh, verse 3, Paul says, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, listen to this, remain at Ephesus. The implication is that Timothy was thinking about bailing from Ephesus. He was thinking about giving up on his ministry. And Paul has to write him and say, no, Timothy, you stick with it. You don't give up. God has called you to this. God has gifted you for this. So you stay there and you stay put. God's going to use you. It's too soon to quit. Soldiers are made for battlefields, not for playgrounds. So you stay put and you don't give up. That's an encouraging word. Lastly, I want to give you one last fast fact. This book has two themes. Two themes. Number one, proclaim. And number two, persevere. We are to proclaim the gospel, keep the gospel, guard the gospel. The gospel is the center of everything we will do at Central Church. We are to protect the gospel. The gospel is precious. This gospel that, that God sent his son to die the death that you and I deserved. This gospel that said he was truly God and truly man. This gospel that says that, that, that though we are sinners, God is gracious sending his son to take our place. That, that whosoever would turn in faith and repentance to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ could be saved. Somebody say amen, please. Amen. amen. That's the gospel. We need to proclaim that gospel. We need to preserve that gospel. And those two themes he will mention in every chapter. Chapter 1, verse 13, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard, listen to this, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Guard this gospel. Protect this gospel. Chapter 2, verse 2, and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Entrust this gospel to faithful people who will also proclaim it. 
Chapter 3, verse 14. As for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Preserve and proclaim the gospel. Chapter 4, verse 5. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Paul is about to die. Weeks away, he will have his head removed. And he's so concerned that the next generation of people will be ready to take the gospel and run with it and pass it on. And he knows that Satan hates the gospel. And Satan will do whatever he can to dilute or delete the gospel. And so Paul is saying, Timothy, don't give up. And you hold fast to the gospel of God. Protect it. It's so precious. And he says, you've got to persevere. You've got to persevere. When you preach the gospel, your life is going to get hard. He'll say, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will experience persecution and suffering. He'll say, share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, chapter 1, verse 8. He'll say, share in suffering as a good soldier, chapter 2, verse 3. He'll say in chapter 3, verse 10, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted persecuted. He's saying suffering will come when you cling to this gospel and you guard this gospel and you preach this gospel, it will get hard. Don't try to escape it. Endure it. Paul does not expect to be delivered from suffering. He does not expect to be delivered from persecution, but through it. Let's say it again. Paul does not expect to be delivered from trials, from difficulty, but through it. Daniel wasn't delivered from the lion's den, but through the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they weren't delivered from the fiery furnace, but what? Through the fiery furnace. And Paul is writing, Timothy, whatever your difficulty is, God is enough. God is faithful. He will be with you. So keep going. Notice that he doesn't say to Timothy, Timothy, let's find a way out. He doesn't try to escape his trial. Now, this is, this is interesting to me, because if it's me, I would probably write something different. This isn't the letter that I would write. I would probably write, Timothy, I'm back in jail. But do you remember those guys in Acts who started praying? I want you to gather up those guys, and I want you to have a prayer meeting and see if the jail doors will swing open. He doesn't do that because that's not his goal. The goal of this letter is to show us how to finish, how to endure, how to persevere. Paul can't say those things to Timothy, even if he wanted to, because he's trying to show him an example of someone who finishes the race. And by God's grace, that's what I want for us here at Central Church. As we, as we look at this letter, 
This is one of the most encouraging letters in the New Testament. If you're down, if you're going through a difficult season, if you know someone else who's going through trials, you ought to invite them to come and to sit through this series and hear the voice of God and the encouragement of God because week after week, we'll return to this place, we'll open the Word of God, and we'll see what God has for us to encourage us to finish strong. So let's take our Bibles. Let's look at the first six verses. Would you stand in honor of God's Word? We'll do this week to week as our tradition and the reading of the Word of God. He's going to give us throughout this section, sermon after sermon, how to finish, how to keep going. And in the first six verses, the thing that sticks out is the father-son relationship. And here's our application. I'm going to circle back around to it at the end of the sermon. But this is the application right now. Every one of you needs a father a spiritual father in your life, and every one of you needs a son. All of you need a Timothy and all of you need a Paul, and we're gonna see their relationship, father-son relationship in verses one to six. Let me read it for us, chapter one, verse one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace and Mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason... I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So reads God's word, and may the people of God receive it with joy and be changed by it. Thank you. You may be seated. Sometimes as I read the Bible, I'm amazed at what I see. Other times I'm amazed at what I don't see. Look at verse 5 again. Did you see that? In verse 5, He mentions by name his grandmother and his mother. Did you notice what's missing, though? That's right, his father. My question is, where's Timothy's dad? What happened to Timothy's dad? Where is his spiritual father to lead him and to guide him? I want to be that towards my son. I love late at night just sitting up with Caleb and just talking about his future and his life. And son, how are you doing? How's your heart doing? I love entering into his world. Where's Timothy's dad? Well, we find out in the book of Acts, in Acts 16, that Timothy's father was actually an unbelieving Gentile. His father was not a believer. In fact, Paul met his mother and his grandmother, and they became believers along with Timothy, but the dad did not become a believer. It was a mixed marriage. Some of you know the difficulty of what that's like. Timothy had no father. He had no spiritual encourager in his life to say, son, pursue Jesus. Pursue this route in life. It will go well for you if you'll do this. You'll not be disappointed. He didn't have that. Where's my dad? Some of you might be saying that this morning. Where's my dad? Maybe you're not talking to your dad. Maybe you don't know where your dad is at. Maybe your father has gone on to be with the Lord. Maybe your father has just died. Maybe your father was distant and it was cold. And and you would say 
with Timothy. Where's my dad? Look at verse 2. To Timothy, my beloved child. There's his dad. There's Timothy's dad. It's right there. It's the Apostle Paul. Timothy was sort of spiritually adopted uh, by the Apostle Paul. Paul took him on the second missionary journey, took him under his wing, got into his life. My beloved child, that's how this letter starts. And, and that's really the theme of these first six verses. How is it on week one that you and I can keep going by the grace of God? How is it that God keeps us fueled with endurance to keep going through a difficult life? It's by a father's voice. It's a father's relationship. We trust that today's message has been a challenge and an encouragement to you. Jesus tells us that truth always demands a response, so he calls us to be doers of his word, not hearers only. So this is your moment of truth. How is God calling you to respond? If you would like to watch or listen to this message, please visit online at centralchurch.com. We'd also love to worship with you online. Join us at 9.30 or 11 a.m. every Sunday as we stream our services on Facebook or through our website. If you would like to donate to support this program and God's Word being sent out, please mail a gift or you can call us at 866-TRUTH-TN and someone will be standing by to receive your credit card donation. We are located at 2005 Winchester Boulevard in Collierville, Tennessee. We can't wait to explore God's truths with you next week. Hi, Pastor Matt here from Moment of Truth. This year we're having an online service where you can interact and get to know some of the people of God, even amidst the things that are happening in this world with the coronavirus. And I wanna invite you to join me every Sunday at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Church com backslash live. That's our live stream. We hope to see you there. Moment of Truth is sponsored by Central Church.